Hello, and welcome to the Talia Ensemble's first episode in our new podcast series. I'm Tori Chia, Production Manager of Talia, and I'll be your host for this episode. For the past few years, Talia has hosted live panel discussions that served as a forum for listeners, artists, and administrators to discuss issues in our field that demand attention and structural change. Instead of hosting an online version of these panel discussions, we decided to turn this initiative into a podcast. In each episode of our podcast, we plan to bring together different points of view, talking with guests and collaborators about a topic that connects contemporary classical music to the world around us. Our main goal for these podcast conversations is for us to ask how music is evolving to fit our world today. For our inaugural episode, we spoke with composer Alichan Chamchi, who will be writing a new work for us through our Emerging Composer Commissioning Program. This year was the first year ever that the Talia Ensemble held an open call for a commissioned collaboration with an early career composer, and we hope it's the first of many such collaborations. We're super excited to be working with Alichan. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Alijan Chamji. Um, I'm a composer and musician from Istanbul, Turkey. The following is a lightly edited version of a conversation we had about his music, endless construction, documentaries, and more. I saw on your website that you were doing a residency at 108. Is that, did you just finish that? Did that happen? I just finished it like a couple days ago. Um, yeah, miraculously, like they didn't cancel and it was like a very small situation. It was oh, very nice. What were you working on while you were there? I was like doing the sound mapping project. So I like went with some field recording gear and just like recording sounds and um, kind of working with them. I ended up doing a kind of installation uh, there, but everything was kind of, it was just like for each other because like there's really no audience or anything like that. So it was kind of nice. It was like a low pressure situation. Um, so I, I was like trying to do some interactive work, but then I realized actually now nobody wants to participate in interactive stuff because of like fear of catching like, a, you know, the COVID. So, but it was very nice to be like kind of out in the outside of the city for like a month or so. And now I'm back. I think that must be really nice, like the difference between just space, because this was in rural upstate New York, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like near Germantown, mm -hmm. um, kind of close to Bard College. Mm -hmm. um, it's like an artist, a Swiss artist bought the property and like turned it into like an artist residency. It hadn't really done anything that focused just on recording, like field recordings and stuff, although I use that a lot in my music. So it was also like I was the only sound person. That's always very interesting. I feel like because they think anything we do is like very exotic and strange, and I, that that's kind of a pleasant feeling. I feel like I definitely hear you. Wait, can you tell yeah. me more about that? Like, what did they find uh, strange or exotic? So I guess like two things. One, just like working with sound or like having sound as a material, I think is difficult different than um, how visual artists might think or like their approach to material, I suppose. But also in my particular case, I was also like working with like Max a lot. So like kind of doing some technological stuff. And I think that kind of 
mesmerizes people in certain situations, even though I kind of know that what I'm doing is like quite elementary. Like anybody who watches like two minutes of YouTube video probably can like come up with something similar. And yeah, and then there's like this danger of like the technology kind of becoming the central aspect. But I think like these kind of, and because the other people who were doing like they were really based on like building objects and like working with material in a very tactile manner um and i think that kind of influenced me a little bit to to kind of think about like sound and like sound capturing apparatuses in a similar like tactile manner too um so it was interesting for me like that's that's mesmerizing to like how they kind of think about material and like its relation to concepts and stuff yeah it's really a totally different kind of way into thinking about making something right because if you're talking about like tactile versus something that you're building on the computer like through max msp you know like literally what you're touching is different so you're touching the keyboard and staring at a screen versus mm -hmm. i guess making sound capturing devices like microphones and stuff that's what i meant like uh, i was like trying to use microphones as like more like percussion instruments or like just rubbing microphone so instead of uh, but i was doing field recordings but also i was thinking like can i use the microphones as more like instruments instead of like an ear so like rubbing them against surfaces and stuff to see what kind of things i get not always very successful but it was kind of interesting and yeah i mean that that's yeah i'm sometimes guilty of like thinking about things in a very like binary manner like oh working with hands dirty kind of interesting and like computer like cool uh, remote but I think it's very integrated and in best cases it is integrated I suppose I think for me I feel the same kind of like difference in mode you know mm -hmm. and I think it's also really interesting that you say that you're you were trying to approach the microphone as an instrument and not just mm -hmm. ear. Could you maybe like talk a little bit more about what that means for a microphone to be an ear and if that was how you approached, you know, doing field recordings or sampling in your mm -hmm. work? Yeah, I mean, I think the analogy for me comes from like in cinema, people talk about how like in certain cinematographic um, instances, like the camera is like an I instead of like having a kind of panoramic understanding of like the scene let's say it's more like kind of almost um, imitating a human or like the way a human head moves and I think that's now like quite it's kind of becoming a paradigm in sound too with like ambisonics and these kind of microphones that imitate human ears but essentially I kind of usually think of microphone the way I direct the microphone is like turning my head and like if especially if I'm doing like a stereo recording to kind of think of the two microphones as like my ears or like somebody's ears and trying to incorporate these like motions of turning to the recording itself um, but then I was also kind of thinking especially I had like this um it doesn't make sense for me to show it, but I had this like, what's called a dead cat, like the wind screen. So, and it's kind of a very interesting, almost like an ASMR 
situation where you like gently rub this windscreen that get into like surfaces. So I was kind of like trying to experiment with that a little bit. And I think then it becomes like more like a hand or like a kind of touching organ than uh, an ear. I don't know. But I was also uh, thinking, I was like uh, listening through your works this morning and you have like one piece uh, which I mean, I was like now as I'm saying, like thinking about microphone as like a touching organ, I was kind of thinking, I was reminded of your piece tell to in that case, I think there's like a close proximity of like the idea of, yeah, like picking up a sound, but uh, yeah, like mm, touching being like the fandom, like main transmission of or enabling transmission of sound mainly, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank, well, thanks for looking at my stuff for one. Actually, the microphones as an instrument, that was exactly what I was thinking of for my piece. With these microphones that um, Mark Pollux actually made that I bought mm -hmm. from him, and they were like kind of flexible and I just attached paper to them. So it was mm -hmm. from the motion that, that uh, moved the microphone. We had a question about your installation panorama great that you mentioned like this panoramic view and perspective on like sound and perception. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that piece and about how, I mean, if at all, the concept of a panorama came into it or what that meant to you? Sure. So that piece was a commission from a museum in Istanbul called Para Museum. Um, and they, it's a very small museum, but they have like couple like very interesting collections of their own and I think that year they were commissioning like series of musicians and sound artists to like engage with their permanent collection somehow and they have uh, in my case I wanted to work with their uh, collection of orientalist paintings um, and they have a couple Istanbul panoramas um, that date from like 18th and 19th century and I was kind of thinking um, what might a panorama of the city uh, look like now? And I think it is one that is kind of dominated by sights and sounds of construction, um, not just for Istanbul. I think it's like a kind of global phenomenon, of course, or like a phenomenon that implies a certain kind of development and development projects and stuff. Um, so I kind of wanted to, I, I have been using like construction sounds or like I have been thinking about construction sounds, but I think for me that became my way of dealing with it more specifically or systematically. Um, also, I was kind of listening to, or I was like thinking about this piece by Guillaume Dufay uh, that he wrote in 1454. Uh, I can't really say the full title it's like a long latin title but it's basically um like a lament to constantinopolis or like for us it's istanbul for like the sorry for the greeks uh or like the, for the christian world it's constantinople so he wrote this lament uh for the fall of uh, constantinopolis um where this uh, mother is kind of uh, lamenting the loss of uh, her child so I was kind of thinking about this like notions of conquest and uh, fall and conquest and how um, 
they are almost like never ending processes because like we can kind of think of these endless construction projects and development projects as like conquering the city over and over again. So like somehow those kind of things made sense to me. Then I like brought in like some other like more personal things um, and then decided to do this installation where um, they actually had this piano, strangely enough, that belonged to Maria Callas at some point. That was just like sitting in the museum cafe and it's like kind of an old piano that doesn't hold tuning properly. So we, I asked if I could like use this as part of the installation. So we like scaffolded this piano with uh, like construction scaffolding material, like metal panels. Um, and then yeah, like the installation, the sound installation was playing through that structure. And then we did the performance with the pianist. Um, I don't know if I actually said anything about like panoramas at all, but so the the work is called Panorama, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's like not even just found sound, but found objects as well. Yeah, I mean, there's found sounds and recordings I made, um, and then yeah, like music that I kind of sampled, I suppose. Um, so it's just all these and like some YouTube videos. I don't know if like for a listener, it makes sense how they all come together because like some of the sources are quite disparate, uh, but it like made sense to me somehow that they were kind of coming together. I know this might be like a difficult question and one that mm. may not have, like might be just like a very personal answer or no answer. Cause I don't know how I would, I would answer this question, but mm -hmm. with all these different and disparate sources how mm -hmm. do you choose them how do you decide to make them part of a work like this hmm. um yeah I, that's a good question i think my probably the answer i would give would change over time um i think when i first started like writing music or like making compositions i was like more goal oriented in that if I was like recording something or like kind of interested in a sound, I had like exact idea of how I would use it. And now it's more like I make a recording or I come across something and I put it away or like kind of, it's on the back of my mind, but I don't quite know how I will work with it. And then sometimes like something comes, like something clicks together, then I know how to, use it but usually um in this case like for instance uh, in panorama specifically um i think the starting point was these two but i like i had these two ideas and like somehow i thought they might be in dialogue but i kind of thought it might be an instrumental piece or like something else um i didn't know and then um i made this record like recording with my mother that's like around 10 minutes or something um, where she was kind of telling me about the history of this like Roman aqueduct in Istanbul called Valens aqueduct. So I, in, with Panorama actually, I thought, okay, like this has to kind of become the focus of the piece somehow. And from that, like everything kind of fell into place. So I usually kind of, I need an anchor or like a 
moment where I kind of know everything is revolving around or like that everything is pulling towards and then I kind of position things around that. I think that's how I'm kind of thinking about things. Noticed in the booklet, it this piece is dedicated to your to your mother. Mm-hmm. And um, I was reading in that section when she starts describing about aqueducts and then starts talking about socks, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's a really, really beautiful and like awesome and just very like, you know, you get a sense of someone's personality when they when they mm-hmm. from one topic to another or yeah. how it's put together. Sort of like the preciousness of that, you know, recording and that conversation. And if that's how you, if you wanted to like highlight that object, and maybe this is me mm-hmm. interpreting what you've said and interpreting this, the piece a little bit, um, that it's less about building an experience for somebody else, but more about kind of putting together um, parts of something that makes sense and you can kind of, you know, it's more complex than than one narrative. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I do find myself thinking more and more about like other people's experience and kind of, but I'm less interested in like closing that experience down. Whereas I think when I was studying composition, um, a lot of people would, a lot of composers would talk about their work um, in a way that was like, if you changed one note, like the whole structure collapses or something like this, like this, like overdetermined organicism or something. And I mean, I think at some point I thought about my work a little bit that way too, or kind of thinking about how um, everything is kind of developing from uh, like a core or something and everything can be like logically derived from other things. And I think um, maybe it's like with age or something, I kind of feel a little bit more comfortable that actually yeah, if you change, like there are many ways of getting to the same place. And I think what makes, and like, even if the object is the same, I think a lot of people will kind of generate different implications with the same object or like kind of trace different paths within the same object. Um, I think that that is like easier for me to recognize and like work with now I'm kind of thinking about crafting like a um, like perfectly composed out experience, let's say. Or like this idea that everything has to organically derive a cell or has yeah. to naturally unfold. I was working with mm-hmm. some high schoolers this summer and, you know, you know, beginning beginner composers and one of them said, oh, I just, you know, improvise material at the piano and see what naturally evolves. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't think that was really, um, you know, that didn't really sit well with, with me. Mm-hmm. I just I told the student, like, it doesn't, what does it mean natural? Like, mm-hmm. how, how do you determining what this, what this is evolving naturally based yeah. on what you know? And, you know, I think it's maybe, I feel, I feel similarly discomfort, like uncomfortable with, mm-hmm. you know, this, I suppose, like, Germanic conception of organicity in music mm-hmm. and things to derive from the cell and yeah know. yeah it's interesting I mean I think um yeah as you kind of picked up on it's like a I kind of think of like somebody like Heinrich Schenker or something like that who like talks or like the kind of Schenkerian 
thinking that tries to find like in every music like the same core and like how kind of each piece is a kind of different elaboration this is like a very elegant idea i suppose but it's very difficult for me to conceive of my practice and a lot of composers that i know and their practice kind of that way i think that it doesn't work in most of the cases i feel like yeah i would agree with that but it's interesting like how personal something feels and if you if one is even interested in making something feel personal because going through panorama it seemed like that was a quite a personal piece um, mm -hmm. you know, do you feel like hmm, do you feel like you want to make something personal out of music i know that's a very loaded term so curious what your thoughts are um hmm. i suppose um like the materials i use or like the way i work with them have a certain personal inflection i suppose but i think the concepts and like things i'm dealing with in a broader way are not are things that are i wouldn't say objective but they're kind of things that are less personal or like more um, things that are experienced probably by other people uh, a common i don't know feelings or like experiences reactions um and i think that's kind of necessary because ultimately i use personal means but i can't really i would like to think that my work is not trying to impose my personality on the listener but asking the listener to kind of um, bring a similar personal perspective through the this like shared experience or something i think like this is usually how a lot of people probably would think of their work like i i think it's less in, or let me put it this way for me it's less interesting when i'm simply attending to like an artist like displaying their personality um and i'm more interested when like that the aspects of that display kind of provoke something in me because i think like really any artwork can't really show us what we didn't have insight in the first place i don't know if that makes sense but... no that makes sense yeah in some ways an artwork is a mirror yeah. Yeah, I mean it is kind of a cliche, but I think it's true that to some extent, like yeah. um we it's like a very personal encounter with the work. Um and essentially I think what makes somebody like something or dislike something is as much about the artwork as themselves. Probably. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think taste is a whole um, very interesting and really complicated thing to mm -hmm. untangle, like my own mm -hmm. taste, let's say, or if you're representing, you know, an organization and you're picking pieces to curate a program and like how to articulate that taste and the choice mm -hmm. of your in music, what kinds of um, what kinds of music people think contemporary music is, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, the way I was kind of talking about it is that kind of assumes that there's a neutral way of communicating between artwork and listener. But uh, as you mentioned, I think yeah, there's like all kinds of mediation that we should kind of think about, like how that work kind of gets transferred or like gets the how that encounter takes place essentially through like curatorial means, etc. Yeah, I think it's like, I guess it's not just the curatorial means and the frame in which it's presented, although I guess you can't really can't really get away from that frame um kind of how one is preconditioned to approach certain kinds of work if you had to define the kind of music that we as a collective like aesthetic or Mm -hmm. genre do i mean how would you begin to describe it yeah it's so difficult to kind of give a convincing answer to that um I think m- maybe I can like, kind of talk about the personal experience and like how I um think and perceive um something maybe like similar to what you said. I think people tend to get shocked and scandalized by music much more than like visual arts or visual media, maybe film a bit similar to music, but I think even then like music kind of has a more provocative nature somehow, or like um, a lot of people tend to shut down music much quicker than um, let's say visual. I mean, when I'm teaching, uh, I always have like a situation where we are like listening to a piece of even like 20th century like right of spring or something like that and students are just like oh like this is random or like this kind of refusal to engage or like this is not enjoyable and then like the question that or like the discussion of whether like things are supposed to be enjoyable or like are there any other ways of kind of thinking about them and you know when you go to a museum or look at a Damien Hirst installation or like Francis Bacon or whatever that is not supposed to provide enjoyment and these are kind of immensely popular uh, pieces like drawing lots of capital etc and so why is that kind of very attractive even though there's like a repulsive thing in it but not let's say um, right of spring for like right of spring I don't think it's like very radical but anymore but I just couldn't think of anything else. But then again, I think like there are other genres of music that other than like quote unquote new music that attract the same kind of um, um, let's say provocation. Like I don't like some uh, Japan noise, like noise music or various other like experimental like durational performances and stuff so I don't I'm like not quite sure how I would start to define or like kind of talk about uh, this music I would like to think though it's like much probably like from a different perspective the boundaries are much clearer than we would like to think like we think oh like everything is so different in like new music 
world like there are a lot of different voices but probably from an outside perspective it's like more possible to see like the common futures that kind of bring together all the works done we kind of make differences with all oh, like difference between Sharino and Lahenman etc and they're like oh it's like the same jet whistle sounds yeah <laughs> no I think for sure I mean the closer you are to something the harder it is to like see what you have in common yeah. you know with it to have a perspective mm-hmm. on it um do you listen to music for fun um yeah I do not very often but uh, yeah i i enjoy um i mean i like one thing that was surprising to me is, is that i actually missed going to cinemas more than concert maybe i shouldn't say that but yeah like i feel like i don't miss live concerts as much even though i used to go to a lot of concerts before um like the closing happened but i feel like i really missed the experience of being in like a cinema with like a big screen kind of coming at you but yeah i i do enjoy listening to music what about you i i do i listen to the same things over and over again and not so much you know Mm -hmm. music that that we do professionally but Mm um i think with the cinema it's interesting like is it does that have something to do with the overwhelmingness of the experience? I think about concerts and acoustic concerts, mm-hmm. and especially you know contemporary music concerts, um, and being on the back uh, backstage side of things. You know, we mm-hmm. try and, and create an experience, but within certain means. You know, there isn't the kind of budget for crazy like stadium shows and lights mm-hmm. and you know, really kind of uh, immersive, overwhelming um, moments in a live concert, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And, these kinds of concerts mm-hmm. so I feel like you know it totally makes sense like if with cinema the biggest difference I can think of is that there's just a really big screen and the music mm-hmm. is really over like the sound is really overwhelming um yeah although I mean yes that's certainly because I maybe I do enjoy that kind of sense of bombardment too but I think more uh I don't I like being um I, yeah, I suppose like this is kind of backwards thinking in a way, but I enjoy being in like a I- illusionary world or something like kind of very non-Brechtian way like, of thinking where like, oh, for two hours I'm in this other story and like yeah. this world doesn't exist. And music certainly has the capacity to do it, like opera, etc. Um, but I think in music the means of production are usually in concerts more like visible so it doesn't provide the same effect i also really miss going to the opera mm-hmm. uh, which is like something i did like um, fairly often maybe one day soon yeah <laughs> um when we were planning for uh, this conversation my colleague stephanie and i were coming up with questions mm-hmm. and uh, one of the questions uh, that we had was about your solo clarinet piece, Void and Compensation, mm-hmm. that was meant to be performed in darkness. Do you do? Um, I mean, do you think about that kind of parameter when you write music since then? Um, is the staging or theatrical elements 
important to the experience mm -hmm. of pieces like that for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, actually, it's interesting because like that piece, I just did a new version of it like a couple months ago and it was performed in a totally different way and like there was no darkness or anything like that. Uh, or like everything was kind of visible. Um, yeah, I think maybe that was the first piece where I kind of thought about the visual dimension quite consciously. Now, yeah, like the, I mean, panorama is of course a kind of visual installation or like an installation that has a visual dimension. Um, and yeah, I'm like thinking of my like large ensemble work, field work, which is like my dissertation piece that also I think has a certain visual dimension. I'm not sure how I kind of think about if I have a systematic way of thinking about other aspects in relation to sound. Um, I think for every piece it's kind of different, but um, yeah, I think I'm kind of interested in how sound plays with like neighboring um, fields of like visual dimensions or like kind of performativity or text. Um, so not as like a kind of closed system, but a system that bleeds through to the others. Mm. I think that's super interesting. Like, it sound isn't a, the sound isn't a closed medium, but something that leads through to other. Yeah, that's what I tried to say. Like, and not so much as like, um, yeah, you can like kind of shut off everything and engage with just the sounds, although I think that that is a way of engaging with it, but also kind of thinking about um, when you hear something, but the action or like what's going on, on stage doesn't correspond or vice versa. You see something, but you can't hear it or um, yeah, this kind of different. Um, I, I have also done a lot of uh, work for visual media, so like film music or stuff like that that I think maybe um, pushed me more towards like thinking about this interaction where music or sound is kind of interacting with other media, I suppose. I definitely wanted to ask you about your documentary angle um, mm -hmm. in coaching music. I mentioned the term specifically just because you mentioned in your bio. Mm -hmm. and so I'm wondering if you can like, we can just start there. Like, what does documentary mean to you? I think we've started talking about it already, but. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think when I use documentary, I use it like very close to the, um, like the, like to the word it derives from, which is like to document and, or like a document. So, kind of thinking about yeah, like found sounds or recordings um, and trying to kind of counter to what I enjoy in cinema, I suppose, to looking at a situation uh, through, not to like, or looking at a situation not through a representative mode, let's say, but through just means that are present there. Um, 
in other words, not trying to create a type of I'm like a bit like moving slowly because I think these are all kind of quotation marks and the differences between what is fiction or narrative and documentary kind of collapse very quickly. Um, but basically kind of thinking about uh, sound which can kind of tell something about the conditions within which it was created or recorded. Um, in other words, when we see a kind of like, let's say a string quartet performing on stage, can it be like a documentary about a string quartet making music rather than the string quartet making music about um, arrival of spring or something? I, I don't know what I what that example means. But essentially, the reason I kind of started thinking about this was um, I was thinking that, oh, like in storytelling or like in film, um, there is like this differentiation between like fictional uh, filmmaking and uh, or like narrative filmmaking and documentary filmmaking. And like in music, can we kind of think through these um, categories and like what would that entail uh, or like in sound let's say um, but I think the problem or like the thing to recognize there is that what is kind of fictional and what is documentary are seldom in like strong opposition and I think it usually kind of is a very um, a, a more complicated situation than what I'm trying to paint here um, um, I think the first um, time I was kind of thinking about this was a piece that I was writing for Large Ensemble uh, four years ago. Um, it's it's based on, or like it's kind of influenced by uh, another film by uh, this Iranian director Abbas Kiarostami. Uh, it's called Close Up. And it's a very interesting film. It is, basically it is kind of, um, how to kind of sum this up quickly. What happened was in Iran, this is an actual event that happened, a person introduced himself to a family uh, by saying like he's the famous film director Mohsam Mahmalbaf and kind of like basically conned them to make them believe that he was like shooting this movie with them to like get their money, etc. Eventually like everything kind of became apparent and like he was on trial. So Abbas Kiarostami did this movie with actual people involved in the uh, situation, like with the family and this man who introduced himself as the okay. film director uh, and with actual footage from his trials. So like there are the trial footages, but also like he kind of went and redid the uh, shoot with like the same crew and it's, the result is a very interesting kind of collage where you don't understand like like the kind of uh, boundaries of documentary like who are kind of acting versus who are just themselves is kind of blurred um, and it's a really fascinating film so I was I did a piece called close-up that was kind of thinking about this 
film and it was like the summer Abbas Kiorastami died so it was kind of like my silent homage to him but there like initially the way I was kind of thinking about it which was I think a little bit elementary was thinking about fiction as like trying to sculpt the sound from like beginning to end and like taking care of all of its components, how it starts, how it ends, etc. And then documentary mode as more as as more like observing a sound. So like kind of having a sound that you don't really have full control over, um, like dropping something or like spilling something slowly. And then you perhaps have a control or like idea of how to start it, but then you no longer have an idea of how it will end. And I thought maybe that might be like a way of thinking about through sound what uh, quote-unquote real event versus a fictional might be looking back I think it's a bit simplistic and like not such an interesting way of thinking about um, this division but like from there I kind of retain this idea of thinking about what events are they're just for the sake of themselves versus what events are representing something else or like something other than themselves. Um, so yeah, I suppose that's how I kind of started thinking more about um, sound as a kind of documentary. Film. And then, uh, yeah, my work with recordings, I think I, at this point, my uh, work largely revolves around various recordings I do and um, yeah thinking of the act of recording as like or archiving um, and then tending to this like listening to them and thinking about them as a past moment that is being mechanically reprodu reproduced and as a document um, so this is like kind of the axis I'm thinking about I suppose in another in, uh, in another conversation that I had a couple days ago, mm -hmm. a week ago, it was um, a conversation with Ted Altshuler, who's the he's a director for um, this performing arts center in New York, the Baruch Performing Arts Center. Anyway, mm -hmm. he said something about how like how the like now that everything is digital, it's like we're presenting organizations have a role in creating a product with an organization or with an ensemble versus mm -hmm. an encounter. And I think those two words really stuck out to me in that conversation. And in this conversation, I think about document, you know, mm -hmm. and then what we kind of do as composers with this document. So mm -hmm. kind of the hierarchy of, I don't even know if there is a hierarchy, but the interplay between something like an encounter, if you're here at a live performance versus mm -hmm. a product, if it's a recording or something, how those two things relate and then how let's say if we're bringing in uh field recordings or documentary sound or mm -hmm. captured recordings somehow you have this like document within a document possibly within like another document mm -hmm. um, all kind of nestled um so yeah i don't know that's just really just a yeah. comment maybe just like an addendum i one uh, artist that i really like and it kind of influenced the way I think about this quite a bit is a Canadian uh, photographer, Jeff Wall. And he he has this like really beautifully um, constructed um, scenes 
um, and I think a lot of the times people when like encountering these works kind of ask oh is this like an actual event that happened or was it staged and I think the whole or the one idea behind the work is to kind of make that uh, question a little bit difficult or impossible to answer and the way he kind of talks about it is like this artificial opposition or this opposition between like acting versus being uh, is kind of a fake one because usually we kind of associate like being with authenticity and if you are acting it is kind of like inauthentic let's say or it is kind of make-believe or it's representing something else uh, but what he was saying is like this like we are always acting um and in like in situations where we are supposedly being uh, our natural selves it is like it also involves a certain type of acting and like this idea that there is like a moment where you can take all the masks off and like there's an authentic neutral zone it is kind of a fallacy in a way and i think in in a medium like photography or sound recording where uh that i think is a very um it's a central issue i think like wh whether something is uh being recorded because the recorder is on versus or it's just it just happened to be on i think like this is kind of an interesting um, division that is like usually kind of collapses as we kind of start thinking about it. Absolutely. I think that's great. Um, I think that's a, a great note to, to end on or mm -hmm. leave in the air, let's say. Okay. <laughs> thanks so much for great. your time. Thank really you for your time and questions. Many thanks to Ali Chan for joining us and for the lovely conversation. For more information about Alichan Chamchi and his work, check out his website linked in the show notes below or visit alicancamci.com. If you would like to learn more about what Talia is up to this season, check out our website linked below or visit t-a-l-e-a-e-n-s-e-m-b-l-e.org or find us on Facebook. Thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you again at the next one.